0: I also want to welcome you here today. If we have not met, my name is David, and I serve as a senior pastor here. And if you're a first-time guest with us, uh, thanks for being here with us. Thanks for giving me the chance uh, to share uh, with you. Last week, uh, we started a brand new series, and we framed this series within the context of the goal that we have as an entire family of faith for 2017, the goal of knowing Christ more tomorrow than we do today. That's our, our goal for each and every person who calls this their Faith home for our church together, that we would uh, press further into an understanding and experience and knowledge of Christ who Christ is and who Christ calls us to be. And we're starting very specifically with this series, asking the question, is this the book for me? Talking about the Bible, because we said the Bible is one of the most underutilized resources for anyone who has that goal in their life. If you have the goal of knowing Christ more tomorrow than you do today, this is a resource that can really transform that process for you. And yet it's one uh, that is often underutilized in that journey. And so we wanted to spend five weeks, the first five weeks of this year talking about this book, how we engage it, uh, what it means for us, how do we understand it uh, and we're, uh, we're talking today about the question, what is uh, the Bible? You may have seen that I asked some questions on Facebook, inviting you to share with me your responses to a few things. The questions were, what questions do you have about the Bible? What do you find confusing about the Bible? What struggles have you experienced in trying to To read the Bible and understand and apply it in your daily life, and what is the one thing that you have always wanted to ask? About the Bible. And, and here's the, the first thing uh, that I want to note today. This is not a profound idea, but it's important for us to, to recognize as we begin. The idea that you have more than a few questions about the Bible, okay? It wasn't like crickets. Nobody had anything to say. There were plenty of people who shared questions about the Bible. Let me just give you a, a snapshot, and overview of what some of those questions were. I wrote them all down, and, and it took quite a while to get all these down. But uh, there were questions. About how did the Bible come to be? Uh, who wrote uh, the Bible? Who? Uh, h- how did we decide, or who decided what got in and what didn't get into the Bible? Was there like an obstacle course for authors that they had to go through? You know, how did that work? That that we we came to this. Uh, h- how do we understand the Bible? How, how do we apply the Bible? If I haven't been to seminary, if I don't have a master's in the Bible, how do I understand what it means to me? What what parts are we meant to take literally and what parts are maybe more figurative or or metaphorical? Uh, And how do you decide that? Who decides that? Who who do you turn to uh, for wisdom? Why does it seem like people tend to pick and choose between the parts that they like and the parts that maybe they either don't like or just don't pay that much attention to? Uh, uh, How do we know what this stuff means? What's this passage uh, trying to tell me? Uh, Why why, why is it that sometimes the Bible feels like a weapon that people use against others? Why do we use the Bible uh, in, in that way? Um, where do you begin? I mean, when you, when you read a book, you always start on page one. Why do some people tell me to start at a, at a different page when I'm uh, reading the Bible? Is the Bible inerrant? Which, if you don't know what that word means, that's fine, because the person who made that comment probably doesn't know what that word means. This is one of those big words that we use of, about whether the Bible is without error. Well, What does that exactly mean? How do you reconcile what you learn about God or what you perceive about God as you read through the Old Testament with what you hear about how Jesus uh, represents uh, God in, in the New Testament? How do you, how do you reconcile uh, those two things? Lots and lots and lots of questions. How, how do you apply the Bible to our own current culture? How does science and the things that we've learned in our modern world, how does it influence our understanding of the scriptures? There were, there were plenty of questions. And here's the other thing that I think is worth noting. No one sent me a comment or an email or a message and said, hey, I really only have one question. And if you'll just answer this one question, I'll be fine. Like, no one, that was, not, that was no one's perspective. Like, I just got one. Everyone had multiple questions uh, that they wanted to ask about the Bible. And, and here is the first good news for today. I'm not going to answer all of them. Okay? Because we wouldn't get, in that, get out in time for kickoff. Kickoff. I mean, it would be, we'd be here till Tuesday if I answered all these questions. I'm not going to answer all of them. We are going to address many of them over the course of the rest of this series. Uh, but I wanted to share those with you. And I wanted to do that exercise this week because uh, two reasons. I want you first to hear that other people have the same questions you do. If you've ever been here in church... And you've thought to yourself, I have no idea what's going on. No one else does either, okay? I mean, you're in good company. There, there are plenty of people who, who don't know well, what's going on, who, who when the pastor says, hey, turn to this, to this book, you're, you're thinking, is that actually in here? I'm not sure. You know, that's, that's totally fine. If you have questions, there are plenty of other people who have questions. If you've ever found yourself reading this book, uh, at any point in, in it, and you found yourself a little bit confused and thinking, I don't know, maybe even, let's say it, disturbed by what you find there. Other people have been as well. You're not the only one. If you've ever sat in a Bible study, or you've ever sat in church or anywhere and you've thought, I wonder if everyone else is getting this and I'm not, no, we, we, we all have questions about the Bible. That's the first thing I want you to hear. Here's the second thing, and this is the thing that for me personally, this is more important, uh, that I, w- I want you to hear this. I want you to hear that, that, that this is a community of faith where questions are valued and questions are heard. I believe the church is at its best when the church lives into that vision and that ideal, as a community of faith, where questions are valued and questions are heard. Now, sadly, some of you in your life, or perhaps in the lives of people that you love and care about, they've experienced church in a very different way. Maybe they've experienced church as the place where questions, hey, we don't talk about that here. Why are you asking that? That makes us a little nervous. That makes us afraid. What I want you to hear is that for me and for all of our pastors, we don't panic when you ask questions. And I don't think you should panic when people ask questions or when you yourself find yourself raising questions. I don't think God panics when we find ourselves at that place. We'll talk a little bit at the end of the message about why sometimes we default to that, why we get uh, nervous and afraid when questions come up. But I believe that the church is at its best when it is a community of faith where questions are valued and questions are heard. So we have lots of questions. We're gonna talk about some today, some in preceding weeks. The main question I wanna talk about today is what is the Bible? What is actually in that resource that, that hopefully many of you brought with you today. Next week, we're going to talk about the the big question many of you mentioned about the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and, and how do you reconcile that. In the fourth week, we're going to talk about how do you, in your own daily life, actually take that book and invest in it, and what does that look like, and how do you do that in a way that it's a, a meaningful and a valuable process for you to invest in. And then in the last week, we're going to talk about wrestling with the Bible. We're going to talk about those passages, that, uh, the, the places in the Scriptures where we find ourselves confused, and, and and there are places where even people of deep faith may sometimes disagree. How do we wrestle, and how do we reconcile some of, those, some of those places that we don't understand, or maybe even those places where we find ourselves perhaps a little bit disturbed? But first, what is the Bible? So if you have your Bible, uh, go ahead and pull that out. Go ahead and grab that. If you didn't bring your Bible, your own Bible, grab the blue Bible out of the seat pocket in front of you and just have that out for me real quick. Where I want to invite you to turn is to the table of contents. Okay? I hope everyone can find the table of contents. If if you get to page 1, you've gone too far, okay? So that's my little tip and trick to find the table of contents. I want you to to have that before you. Uh, We're going to go through a a brief overview of what we find in the Bible. I know that for some of you, this may feel like a review, uh, but I think for us to move forward in this series and to get to some of these questions, we need to talk about some basics that I think will be very helpful for all of us as a whole uh, to be on the same page. So here's the first idea I want to uh, share with you, that the Bible actually is not a book, okay? I mean, it's a book in the sense that it's one book there in your lap. But as you look at the table of contents, the first thing I want you to notice is that the names that you see there are not names of the chapters in one book, they are instead each separate literary works that were written by a variety of different authors over the course of thousands of years and also written in different languages. So if you move forward a couple of pages, probably most of you are going to find a, a, a book, that a, the Bible that is filled with English, right? Did anyone bring a Hebrew Bible here today or a Greek Bible? Anybody got a Greek Bible here? Okay, good. No show-offs uh, here this morning. That, that's good. So, Hebrew and Greek are the main languages that are used in the writing of the Bible, although there are other languages present there in the Scriptures, which means that what you have in your hand is a translation of the original text, now, there are a variety of different translations. I don't even know how many translations there are. Um, I have up here, um, this is seven different translations. I brought these in part just to show you that if you have one that's different than the one that's in the, uh, in the pew, the one that I use each week, that's okay. There's lots of different translations. These are ones uh, that I regularly use. But all of them are works from scholars who have worked to take the language that the original text was written in and to present it in our language in a way that makes the most sense. One of the issues that all translators have to figure out is in some languages there's a word that in another language doesn't quite mean the same thing, and so they have to figure out exactly how to present that idea, which is why we have a variety of different translations. I Primarily use the New International Version. That's what we have here uh, in in our sanctuary and all of our worship spaces for two reasons. We think it's a good one, and it's readily, readily available for you. You can go to any bookstore and you can find the NIV translation. We want you to have one here uh, that, if you're going out to buy a Bible, it's very easy to find. But there's lots of different translations, and there and there there are lots of great translations. But but here's here's a way of thinking about it. There's actually 66 different books in the Bible. There's 39 books in the Old Testament. There's 27 books in the New Testament. And these books range, they're very different according to lots of different categories. One of them is length. So if you turn to 3 John, first you'll probably miss it the first couple times that you go by, because there's only 219 words in 3 John. It's really, really short. You're never going to miss Jeremiah, because he had a lot to say, okay? 33,000 words uh, in the book of Jeremiah. There are a variety of different leaks written by many different authors from different places, different uh, periods of time, different languages. Uh, That's what you find here. So you might think about what's in your hand as really a library of sacred texts. So think about going to the library, okay? You go to the library, you go to the bookstore. I've never been to a library or a bookstore that wasn't organized around different categories of literature. So you go, you want to pick up a fiction book or a, or a Bible, or you want to pick up a philosophy book or a poetry book or whatever it is, you go to that section to find the book that you're looking for. And here's what I want to point out to you today as we walk through this. The Bible is actually organized in exactly the same way. Okay? This is the original Barnes and Noble is what I'm trying to tell you. Okay? So I'm going to walk through this with you so that you have an understanding again of what it is that you find in your Bible. So as you look at the table of contents, let's look at what is actually in that resource, that library that you have there. These are all the books of the Old Testament. Okay? Uh, and here's what I want you to see. I want you to see the different categories of these 39 different books. So we start with the first five books which are referred to as either the Torah or the Pentateuch. Uh, These, for Jews, are the holiest of their scriptures. Tradition uh, uh, attributes the authorship to Moses, and these five books tell the story of the people of Israel. From the time of their calling, Genesis 12, God comes to Abram, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to create in you this new nation. All the way through their, uh, their slavery in Egypt, they're being led out of slavery by Moses. You may not have read Exodus, but you may have seen the movie. That's what that one's about. Uh, and then after they are led out of slavery, they find themselves wandering in the wilderness on the way to the promised land. And there in that wilderness wandering, God gives them the law. And the law was really about two things. The law was about structuring and ordering their society, figuring out how to live in relationship with one another and to take care of one another, and also how to set themselves apart as the people of God, how to live as God has called us to live. That's Leviticus, and this is where most of you got stuck when you tried to read through the Bible just straight through, okay? You got you were wandering in the wilderness too, and you said, I, I quit. I don't know what this is about. That's Leviticus. It's, it is a bit dry. It's hard to understand, but that's what we find there in the middle of the Torah. Deuteronomy is the last message of Moses to the people of Israel. These are his final instruction. As you're about to enter into the promised land, here's the things that you need to remember. The next section, this is where you would find the history section. So again, think about being in the library and going to the history section, beginning with Joshua. And Joshua tells the story of Israel's conquering of the promised land, the establishment of this new nation in the land. Of God's promise. Judges tells the story of uh, the period of time in Israel when they were ruled by judges. Very profound, isn't it? Okay. As you keep reading, you eventually get to the period of the kings. The first king of Israel was a man named Saul. The second king of Israel was a man named David. David was a better king than Saul because his name was David. Okay. (laughs) It's in the Bible. Trust me. these, uh, these books here tell the story of the period of the kings. And, and here's what you need to understand about what, what happened there. David and, and in the reign of his son Solomon, those were kind of the best times for the nation of Israel. And from there, it was all downhill okay? It was all downhill. They didn't live according to the law that they were given. They didn't take care of one another. Power was corrupt. Everything, it was just a constant downhill. The nation eventually split. They became weakened. They eventually were conquered. They were sent to exile. Again, long downward movement uh, of the nation falling apart. Now, I mention that to you now because when you get to Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, these are stories that actually take place hundreds of years after uh, the time of of David and the time of the kings. But they are in this section because they're history. They're in the history section. The next section, uh, if you think about going to the library, this is where you'd find the books of poetry, and this is where you'd find the philosophy section. These are the books of wisdom. Uh, Job is all about asking questions and how do you reconcile evil in the world. Psalms is the book of worship, Proverbs is about wisdom, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, that's what it may say in your Bible. These are all attributed to Solomon the king and and his authorship, but they're all about seeking wisdom and what does it mean uh, to, to develop a posture of wisdom. And then look at the rest of the Old Testament. The rest of the Old Testament is all the prophets. You can subdivide these, some people do, between the major prophets and the minor prophets. The only difference between the major prophets and the minor prophets is the major had a lot of stuff to say, so they wrote a lot. The minor, okay, it's not a very good way to, uh, to separate them, but that's one way of thinking about it. Here's what the prophets are all about. On that downward journey, the prophets were, were constantly saying to Israel, look where you're going. They were challenging them. Do you not understand? We're heading to a very destructive end. We are not living as God has called us to live. If we don't turn, if we don't change, something really terrible is going to happen. The prophets not only did that, but the prophets also talked about how after the destruction, God would return and he would restore God's people Because the prophets speak of this time of returning, that's why some of you know some of their names like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Zechariah, some of those who point to the coming of the one known as the Messiah because that brings us to the New Testament. And that brings us to the first four books of the New Testament, which are the Gospels. These are the four books that tell the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. They are history, but they're also biography. But even beyond that, they are works that are meant to introduce you to Jesus as the Son of God and Savior of the world and invite you to place your faith in him. That's what these stories are all about. Acts is kind of all by itself because it's the second volume of Luke. Luke wrote both of these uh, uh, books. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, although he didn't title it that because that would be fa- fairly arrogant. Someone else did. Acts, that's funny. Okay, all right, sorry, you don't think it's funny. Acts is the story of the early church. And it's a st- uh, it's the long title is the Acts of the Apostles. It's the way in which the church expanded throughout the Roman Empire. And if you read the book of Acts, you can use the book of Acts as a guide for what is almost the rest of the New Testament, which is all of this stuff. These are all letters originally written by the early leaders of the church. Uh, and, and they were written to a variety of different audiences. In some instances, they were written to a specific church. So you go to Philippians, and Philippians is a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. Very specific to them. Some of these letters were letters that were written by a early church leader to a specific person. So First and Second Timothy is a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. Some of them are letters that are written to a more general audience. Uh, they were written to Jews who were living uh, throughout the Roman Empire, or they were wrote, written to a variety of different churches. So a letter was sent to, for instance, Colossae. And once it reached Colossae, the instruction would be, "Well, now take this letter to Thessalonica and read it there. These are letters written by the early church leaders to give pastoral advice and pastoral wisdom and understanding uh, of the teachings of the the faith to the various churches uh, that were uh, established throughout the Roman Empire. One of the things to keep in mind when you think about chronology is that most of these letters were actually written before the writing of the Gospels. So for instance, let me just give you one example of that. Many of you have heard of the Apostle Paul. Some of you may not know that Luke, who again wrote a huge portion of the New Testament, Luke was a traveling companion of Paul. And so in the book of Acts, you read about this. You read about Luke and and Paul sharing life. So Luke was a part of Paul's ministry. And as Luke was raised in the faith, as he collected the stories of Jesus, he made a decision to collect those into the fullness of the gospel of Luke. But it was written after many of these letters. If you look at 1 Corinthians 15... Uh, You look there, you'll find one of the earliest confessions of faith, speaking about Jesus, the Son of God, who was crucified, resurrected, raised from the dead. Uh, And that's actually one of the earliest writings uh, in the Christian church, uh, probably 10 to 15 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And then we get to the book of Revelation. And if you think I can explain to you the book of Revelation in the next two minutes, you're crazy. Okay, Uh, I, I can't do that. But here's what you need to know. Revelation is a particular type of literature and we find it in other places in the Bible. If you go to the book of Daniel, for instance, the second half of Daniel is very similar to the book of Revelation. If you look at some of the teachings of Jesus, if you go to the end of the Gospels, a lot of the language that you'll find actually sounds very similar to the book of Revelation. If you read through some of the prophets, a lot of what they speak of. You go to Ezekiel, and the, the, you remember the, the story in Ezekiel of the valley of dry bones, and dim bones, dim bones, gonna... Yeah, yeah, you know the song, okay? That, that's apocalyptic literature. It is literature that is heavy on symbolism. It's heavy on metaphor. Uh, it, it is all literature that looks toward the end times. And it looks towards the end times. I thought about doing this in red instead of yellow, you know, because I thought y'all would think that was funny. Uh, it looks towards the end times. This is important. It looks towards the end times not as something to be afraid of but rather as the culmination of God's promise to restore all of the world. So that's important to keep in mind when you think about Revelation. Number one, it's very confusing. It is very hard to understand because it's heavy on on symbolism. It's very easy to take out of context, and people do it, and they abuse it. But it's really about restoration. It's really about hope, uh, even though it is very confusing to understand. So back to this idea, the Bible is not a book. Perhaps you're wondering what this comma was all about about 10 minutes ago. Here's the idea, it's not a book, but it is one story. The Bible is not a book, but it is one story. In other words, there is a thread that you can trace throughout the entirety of the scripture and all the different places that the uh, and all the diff- all the different places that the scripture's take you to and all the different people that you meet along the way. Now, it is admittedly a confusing story. It is a hard-to-understand story. There are portions of this story that, 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 that do leave us wondering, what, what exactly does this, does this mean? But among all the different people that you meet in the Bible and all the different situations that the people of God face, there are three main characters in this story. And I know some of you, you're you're right on top of it. I mean, you're thinking Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. that's, That's the wrong answer, although that's a good answer. It's the wrong answer. Here are the three characters in the story. God, God's children, and God's world. The story of the Bible is about God, it's about God's children, and it's about God's world. It's very important when you read the scriptures to understand that the Bible is not just about God and me, or God and us, humanity. The Bible is bigger than that. The Bible is actually about the entire world and the restoration of all things. It's a story that begins in a garden. It begins in a world that God describes as good, and all along the way, it's a story of God trying to restore that world. So as you're reading, this is what I would encourage you to think about as to what that story is. The story of the Bible is a revelation of God's desire for relationship with God's children and God's desire for the full restoration of God's world. Again, I want you to see those three main characters. This is what is happening all along the way. Now I point that out to you because if you can wrap your head around that, if you can utilize that as a filter, as a way of understanding, wherever you are in the Scriptures, it will greatly enhance your understanding. To to remember as you travel, even through Leviticus, God bless you, even through Leviticus, it is a story about God's desire for relationship with God's children and the full restoration of God's world. This is what God is doing all throughout the scriptures. And as you move through the scriptures, we'll talk about this next week, as you move through the scriptures all along the way, the other thing is you're beginning to see in an unfolding larger way, just how big this work is that God is doing to build a relationship with his children and also to bring restoration and healing and hope to the entire world. Now let's go back real quick here at the end to this idea of the church as a place where questions are valued, where questions are heard. Uh, Proverbs, remember Proverbs, that's from the book of Wisdom, and Proverbs is all about wisdom. It's not only about providing wisdom, but Proverbs is really also an invitation towards us seeing ourselves as needing all along the way, needing wisdom in our life, turning towards God to wisdom. And so this is, in the first chapter, it's kind of a thesis for the book, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Who is a fool? A fool is the person who thinks they know everything. A fool is a person who doesn't ask for help. A fool is a person who doesn't seek out counsel and advice, who doesn't pray, who doesn't recognize that maybe there is something they don't have in their life and they need to look outside themselves. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. What in the world does it mean by fear? and talk about this word fear, because in my conversations, I can't even count how many uh, conversations I've had with people about the Bible, the questions that they have, the, the wor- uh, wh- whatever it is, this word comes up over and over and over again. They may not say it, they may not say it, but they're really saying it. That there's this sense of fear, there's this sense of worry, there's this sense of, oh my gosh, I don't wanna mess this up. Uh, how do I know what it means? I, I, I don't want to get this wrong. Or, or, or they think about, well, what, what does it mean if I start asking questions about my faith? Like, does that mean my faith is falling apart? What if, I, what if I ask the pastor a question and he or she doesn't know the answer? Do I get kicked out of church? Like, do I go on probation? Is there a special place in the church I have to sit for, for the people who have questions and they shouldn't have asked those questions? Like, well, there's this fear of getting it wrong. What if, what, what if my children start asking me questions? Some of you, your blood pressure is going up right now. Just by mentioning that, I think about how am I going to respond when my kid asks this question, what, 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 what if I don't have the, there is this fear of, 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 of understanding. But, but here's what I want you to recognize, that here in Proverbs, and, and really I think in numerous places in the scriptures, when it uses this idea of fear, this is meant to be a fear that leads us to Awe it is not a fear that is meant to create anxiety. And do you see the difference between the two? There is a fear that leads to a sense of awe, and then there's this fear that leads to the sense of, of, of anxiousness, of, of anxiety. And that's where many of us are when it comes to the Bible. We have the sense of anxiousness. But the fear here, it, it's not about worry, it, it's about developing a sense of wonder. So think about the last time that maybe you stepped outside in the middle of a storm just to hear the sound of the thunder, to see just the lightning flash across the sky. And maybe someone inside was saying, what are you doing? But you were just captivated, right? You were just in awe. You were just in wonder of what you were experiencing, just to see the the power and the the majesty of it. That's what it means to have the fear of the Lord. And that's that's the posture that that we are invited to have when it comes to the the scriptures. Not a a sense of, I don't want to mess this up, but a sense of, I just really want to know more. What happens in your life when you find yourself in awe and wonder, well, two things. it, It humbles you, doesn't it? It gives us a spirit of humility and a spirit of openness, but it also creates in us this sense of curiosity and this desire to know more. This this hunger and this longing that that, that isn't based on, oh my gosh, I got to get everything right, but rather I just want to press in to the mystery that is here and figure out more about what, what, what this God is all about and what this god may have to do with my life and along the way that awe and wonder it does create questions and if you have children who are growing up in your house like i do i have an eight-year-old and a 12-year-old there will come a time in their life where they will perhaps have the courage to ask their pastor dad the question that they've been wrestling with in their own life. And I remember what it was like to ask those questions. And I remember, and I know that one of the reasons that I have faith today is that when I asked those questions, the people that I asked them of, they didn't panic. But they loved me and they cared for me and they walked with me through those questions. And they not only did all of that, but they recognized it as something that was good and not bad because it represented my sense of awe and wonder. This is my prayer for you. This is why we're going through this series. This is why I would share with you a message like this that I know is not the most inspirational message you've ever heard in your life. I knew this week as I was putting this together, I thought, well, someone's gonna go home and go, that was so boring, I can't believe he did that. But the prayer, the, the, the force behind all of this is, is the prayer that together we would develop a sense of awe and wonder and that would lead us, uh, that, would, that would create in us this desire to want to know more, to, to press into the mystery, to, to seek to understand more of this God that will always be beyond us because He's bigger than us And that's actually good news. And if any of that intrigues you or sounds interesting, then I hope you come back next week. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today I want to pray specifically for those here today who have questions. As well, Lord, for those who may share life with someone who right now is wrestling and has questions about faith and questions about the Bible and what this all means, I pray, Lord, that you would give to us a posture and an attitude that would embrace that part of the journey and embrace those people who find themselves there. Help us, Lord, to love them as you love them. And Lord, may we be encouraged and uh, and inspired by the reminder that the people of the deepest faith that we learn about in this book are those who asked some of the hardest questions. Help us to understand a bit more of the mystery, but more than that, Lord, to develop the passion and the desire to continue to learn more, to not be afraid. But in our own life and in community together to to push in and to dig deeper into who you are and who you have called us to be as your people. All these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.